0: Holy moly, we are back with more Bridgerton today. Hello, everybody. My name is Bradley, and we are here with another episode of Let's Dive Deep. Our journey through the first Bridgerton novel, The Duke and I, continues with chapter number 12 in this episode. As always, there may be some adult content in this episode. How much adult content? I have no idea. Just don't listen to this podcast around kids, and you'll be totally fine. With regard to spoilers, I cannot spoil the rest of this book for you because I've not read past chapter 12, but I may cover things that happened before chapter number 12, which makes sense. I've also watched the first two seasons of the Netflix adaptation. You can actually catch those podcast episodes that I did about them, but just know that I may be referencing the television show on Netflix that is adapted from these books if you haven't yet watched it. I recommend doing that first before listening to the podcast. I heard from a bird that if you go and leave five star reviews on this podcast, future iterations of this novel will have a situation wherein Daphne and Simon can just have kids and everyone wants them to have kids and Simon wants to have kids. And you can avoid this entire kind of chapter and they can live happily ever after and everything's going to be great. So if you'd like that to happen, go leave a five-star review on this podcast. Also, check the show notes for all kinds of places. We got a Twitter. We got a Facebook group. We got all kinds of fun things. We got a Patreon. If you want to get early access to the episodes for a couple bucks a month, that helps me out. You get some early access stuff. It's fantastic. That stuff is all in the show notes below. But you know what? Let's screw it. Let's talk about Chapter 12. Let's dive right in. Chapter 12, another banger. I'm loving this book. Look, I'm loving this. I say this every time. I keep expecting to hate this book. I keep expecting that every time I read a chapter, I'm going to end like, this is where it falls off. This is where I start not liking it. This is where all the people listening to the podcast are going to start hating me because I'm starting not to like it. And every single time I finish the chapter and I go, hell fucking yeah, brother. That was a fun 15 minutes reading this chapter. This What I will say, I will say this. This was the first chapter that felt hyper redundant. There is a lot of time in this chapter where Simon and Daphne are each in their own brains going over this uh, not having a child situation. And it was really effective the first couple times, but I feel like it's just a little overdone, a little melodramatic, a little overdone. But other than that, this chapter was an absolute delight. There's a lot of real emotionality with our favorite characters in this chapter. This chapter really centers around Simon's decision to tell Daphne that he cannot have children, Daphne can choose to marry him or not. And they both kind of have to deal with those emotional consequences, kind of knowing that Simon isn't really telling the full truth and knowing that Daphne really, 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 really wants to have a giant family. And it's a really effective setup. And there's uh, hopefully this book continues to be good. So I can get the really effective uh, payoffs later, the payoffs in the show were were fantastic. So I'm I'm hopeful for the book. I enjoyed it was redundant, but I did enjoy the, the the self-doubt and the self-reflection. We got a lot of time in this chapter to kind of pause in one place. There's not a lot of forward momentum in terms of time. It's kind of we're in one place, we're covering a couple of hours, and really just how our characters feel about the whole situation. Uh, Simon has been saved from the duel by Daphne, and in order to be saved from the duel, they're going to have to get married. So Simon decides to kind of we're going to talk about this kind of lie to Daphne here but kind of tell the truth his internal position is such that he needs Daphne to have a choice right he wants Daphne to choose to be with him without children or not right so he wants to give Daphne that information she can make a choice and if she she chooses no then he'll go through with the duel the problem with this is, can it ever really be a true choice if you didn't get all the information? This little piece here, this little kind of wordplay problem is played out exactly, or in my recollection, exactly the same as it was in the show where he says that he can't have children. And inside his head in this chapter, in the show we can't get inside people's heads, but in this book we can, And he knows that he's lying. He knows he says something like, I can't tell her the whole truth, but I do need her to understand that if this relationship were to happen, there will be no children involved. So he kind of, he tells her kind of the truth in the sense that he wants a relationship without children and saying that he can't have children may or may not, I guess, kind of achieves that goal, right? She's still going in with the same expectation, in not having children. So in that sense, the truth was told. Daphne is agreeing to go into a relationship without children. And the mechanism by which the children can't be had doesn't really matter. But on the other hand, it matters a lot. My position is that it matters a lot, right? You can't give someone a true choice unless they have all of the information. And here, it's really foolish from Simon for a couple of reasons he says to Daphne that he can't have children, but neglects to say that his uh, the, the pipes, the internal systems work fine. <laughs> he's a, he's capable of producing them. It's more of a want, it's more of a want than a can't, right? The honest thing to say here is, I theoretically could potentially make children, I just will not at any today. I would rather die in this duel then enter a relationship with children, and you're going to have to agree to that. So it is a bit of a sticky situation where the end position is similar, but the way we get there is different, and the way we get there is very important. It's very much what does Simon want is what he's saying, right? Like Inside is that he knows he doesn't want children, and he's vehemently opposed to that. Uh, But what he says is that he can't have them which is very different. And Daphne kind of ponders this over later, but it is fun kind of dealing with in a book like Bridgerton. It is nice to have like actual ethical issues with this. It gives us a lot to think about and a lot to kind of mull over. And my position here is that ultimately Simon lies and ultimately Simon kind of forcing is forces Daphne to make a choice. That's not the real choice because she doesn't have all the information, even if it's kind of similar in outcome, to what the real explanation is, there is a deceptiveness to the reasoning that I think is important for us to acknowledge. To Simon's credit, he is reflective about this. He knows that lying is a problem here, and he knows he's not really telling the full truth, and he just kind of has to do it. Why he has to do it, I don't know. He he goes over it in his head, but it doesn't really make much sense to me. That's okay, though. And he is adamant that he wants to give Daphne a choice. Daphne should choose. And again, it's all in the explanation, not in the end result, because his fundamental thing is Daphne should choose between um, this duel situation or being with him without children. And he wants to make it very clear that if she chooses him, that she's choosing not to have children, right? So he's adamant to give her that choice. He's willing to die in the duel anyway, which is admirable in a certain sense. And Daphne in making this choice also has some really interesting, again quite redundant, but really interesting internal dialogue that I found fascinating. She she goes on this little diatribe internally about how Simon is real. Simon is here. I love this dude. He's cute, he's sexy, he's a duke. We were making out in the bush. He, I didn't even, I accidentally showed my brother a boob. I was having so much fun with Simon, right? And she's loving that and he's here and he's real. And the children, the hypothetical children are not, right? Yes, she wants that big family, but the big family doesn't actually exist. And can you, can you yearn for a thing that has never existed? Is that really, it's an interesting psychological thing because she is, she wants that thing that she doesn't have but that thing doesn't exist it's ethereal it's it's you know it's something that could exist, but it's not like all these children live somewhere else and you go pick them up. You know what I mean? Like, they're not even. Uh, the Daphne does not have any idea how conception happens, but <laughs> they're not even conceived yet. Like, they're just nothingness. You know what I mean? And it is an interesting thing, separate from this, but in our own lives, to kind of tackle this. Uh, humans do this all the time. This, like, grass is always greener thing and sometimes the thing exists like you want a really big tv you have a shitty old tv and your tv sucks and you want a bigger tv or you have like an old car and you want a new car and those things exist but a lot of times humans also do this where you're kind of pining for and you are creating a straw man to 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 kind of work towards you know what i mean you're you are hoping for a thing that doesn't yet exist and so the idea of a big family like the bridgertons to daphne exists conceptually like she's part of a big family but the actual workings of that family the actually actual people that would be a part of it don't fit there's no they're again ethereal and it's a fascinating psychological thing to work through daphne also has a, a tricksy moment in her internal dialogue where she is secretly hopeful She's secretly hopeful that maybe, maybe Simon's wrong. Maybe there was a bad doctor. I believe I, I read this chapter a couple days ago, so this could be wrong, but it's all thematically correct. So I'll forgive myself. I think she thinks at one point that th- what must have happened is that Simon was with someone else and couldn't have children or whatever, and that it was misdiagnosed. The, the doctor or whoever said he's the one who couldn't do it when really it's, it's equally likely that the woman couldn't do it. So possibly with Daphne. He he would be able to have kids, but she knows, she's very smart, Daphne, she's very intuitive, she knows that she can't say that to Simon, that that she, he only agreed to this under these strict, because she is clear about the rules, right, again, there's a lot of deception in getting there, but she is clear about what Simon is asking insofar as that she knows She's entering this relationship to not have any children, so she knows she can't bring this up. She can't actually want this thing, and so internally she's hopeful that they'll they'll start. She doesn't even know at this point how babies are made. I don't think so. I don't I don't know what it is she's hoping they'll do to make I, this part's a bit confusing. And maybe I'm pulling from the show where um, Mama Bridgerton's like, "Yeah, sometimes the ducks eat things off the grass and that's sex, and then that babies are made." And it's like, thanks. Mama Bridgerton for that awesome explanation of sex. That was great. Thank you. And so maybe I'm attributing Daphne's lack of knowledge in the show. Maybe she is more knowledgeable in the books and I just don't know it yet, but that's okay. But Daphne here is, is very smart. She knows she can't tell Simon this, but she's hopeful through whatever mechanism she believes babies are made by that it will actually work out for her. The reason why this is so silly from Simon's point of view, so, so, so silly is he does understand how babies are made and he knows full well that he could make a baby sexually which is how babies are made again if you are listening to this podcast in front of children i'm about to give them a whole birds and bees talk so watch out um how do i how do i explain this all right uh let's explain this man i i just sometimes i just want to get so adult contenty but this is not the right this is not the right episode i'll get adult contenty when there's adult content in the chapter. I think that's fair. Here's how I'm going to explain this. Simon, I think, understands. And even it doesn't matter because we, the audience in 2022, understand. He understands that he doesn't want kids. And I think he has a basic understanding of how babies are made. And in the show, he resorts to the pullout method, which we'll see if he does that in the books. But basically, his genius plan is to go and uh, fuck Daphne all around their castle forever a thousand times a minute. That was more adult content than I was hoping. But that is his plan. That is his plan. And you signed up for an adult content podcast. Um, That's his plan. And he's going to do that whole plan without any protection. And we just have a very modern understanding that sometimes when you are engaged In intercourse, as the person providing the the sperm to this whole... This is so awkward to do. Is this more... Send me an email. Is this more or less awkward than the Brad reads a sex scene from a Bridgerton novel? (laughs) Um, As the person in a relationship providing the sperm, right, um, we now have this understanding that before... The whole thing finishes before you reach the climax, the top of the mountain. You're, you're at the end. That um, Before that, a little bit gets a little bit antsy. You know what I mean? They get a little bit too excited. They're like, I'm going now. Just a little bit. You can't notice it, but it happens. And that little bit is already gone. By the time you resort to the pullout method, you already got a whole bunch of sperms running around the egg. And we know that now. That is a factual thing that we all understand. Simon, I don't think, would know that in 1812 or whenever the heck this book takes place. But that is fundamentally why this is so foolish, because if I understand this book correctly, him and Daphne are going to capital F-U-C-K fuck for the rest of this novel from the time they get married to the end. And I will read all of it, and it's going to be fantastic. But just statistically and mathematically... The odds are against you that for your entire relationship, for the next, how many more years does Daphne have to bear children realistically? This is, I don't want to pretend to know anything about ovulation cycles or menopause or anything like that. But my basic understanding is that up until around 35, You're pretty safe from like 35-ish to 40. It's possible for most people, not always, but there's a few more health complications to consider. And after 40 is when it starts really, the the odds of having a child really start dropping. That's my basic rudimentary understanding as a very general rule of thumb. I did have a wonderful, at the time, uh, sex education program in like, what was that, 2009? 2010 compared to what a lot of people get. I got like weeks and weeks and weeks of it in Canadian school. And so that's my basic rudimentary understanding from that time in my life, but that's okay. And so Daphne is 20 in this, in this book, she's older. I think she's like 20 in this book. We'll go with like roughly 20. So 15 years of like super, somewhere between 12 and 15 years of super healthy baby making ability. And then another five in my estimation of you know maybe some complications but still possible so what is that 17 to 20 years to make a child and if they're gonna capital f-u-c-k fuck like nine times a day around their (laughs) estate for 15 to 20 years i just think that the odds are against simon's plan here man that was awkward to get through i had a lot of fun saying all that stuff into a microphone on the internet I hope you had a lot of fun listening to that. And if you're on a run or something, I hope I didn't force you to pause and switch to another podcast. Let's move on. I found Anthony interesting in this chapter. He does have a very big brotherly moment later, which we'll cover uh, from Simon and his kind of butler's point of view. But at the time, Anthony is just so exhausted and mailed everything in. He like at the time at the duel, he's like, is everything? So Daphne and Simon, is everything all right? And then they're like, "Oh fuck, we're getting married," and he's like, "Okay, fair enough, cheerio." (laughs) And just it's like, right, like this whole thing, this whole duel. Like, here's from Anthony's point of view: I don't have a younger sister; I have two younger brothers. If I did have a younger sister, I would hope that I I am very pro uh, safe sexual exploration. I'm very pro um, letting people make their own choices. I'm very pro all that stuff. So I would hope as a big brother, that I would be super cool with um, my my younger sister just dating who she wants to date and doing what she wants to do as long as she's doing it safely and all that stuff. But fundamentally, none of my business. You know what I mean? So I hope that's how I would act as an older brother, right? Where it's like, it's not my job to police my little sister. Really, it's just my job to, to make sure that where possible, the people in her life, not just her her partners, but like just the people in your family's life, you don't do this with just little sisters, are, are treating them well and are kind to them, is more what my concern would be. However, I'm well aware that I don't have a little sister and I have a lot of friends who have little sisters. And I think it's a little more complicated than that. I think it's almost impossible to completely divorce yourself from having an opinion on um on what your siblings are doing <laughs> in their love life, you know what I mean. And so, especially at this time, where not only is Anthony meant to be interested in, uh, like, societally interested in Daphne's life, he's in charge of it. Like, he's in charge of finding her a partner. He's in charge of making sure she has not had any kind of intercourse before that. All that kind of stuff. And so he just, like, two chapters ago at the Trowbridge Ball, like, walked into his best friend, (laughs) making out with his sister in the bushes, and there was a boob out, and it was a whole thing. And that's what happened. And so societally, that's bad. You know what I mean? Um, from the point of view of his job, finding Daphne a partner, a, a marriage partner, that's very bad. And from the point of view of the big brother in 1812, that's fucking catastrophic. You know what I mean? This is this is like Ron Weasley and Harry dating Ginny level of thing going on here. Uh, Ron handles it quite well in the sixth book of Harry Potter. Fantastic moment from Ron, if you must. Oh, iconic. Anyways um anthony did not handle it quite as well and all those three things converged and they had this duel right and then the second they're gonna get married anthony's like oh okay fine that's all good i guess that's okay and he just kind of leaves and it's like oh all right i would still be pretty fucking mad about this regardless if it ended up societally okay like it ends up fine because the partner, I guess, is suitable, and he's a Duke, and whatever. But just a couple of chapters ago, he really didn't want Daphne marrying Simon, even if Simon and Daphne were really interested. So he he did a pretty quick turn here to just be kind of okay with the whole thing. Later, however, it does get a little bit interesting, because he goes over to Simon's house, and Jeffries, the butler, I don't know if that's the right word, but Jeffries, the butler, uh, he is looking out for Simon, my main homie, Jeffries, was a fucking highlight this chapter, okay? I liked the homie Jeffries. We need more of him. Because he's trying to tell Anthony that the Duke's not here. He's trying to tell An- or he's trying to tell the Duke, like, hey, if you don't want to see this guy, like, he gave you that black eye, dude. He, he hurts you, man. He hurts you. You're in your feels right now. Let's take a day off. And Simon's like, no, um, bring him in here. And Jeffries is like, are you sure you don't want him in the drawing room? Like, I can make that up. It's like, no, 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 bring him here. And Jeffries looks concerned. All I'm saying is the homie Jeffries, fucking iconic. I love the homie Jeffries. That's his official name now. You know, how you get like you get knighted, you're like a sir, or a madam, or a dame, or whatever it is. I'm not up. I'm not up with my British um, terms of reverence, but that's fine. Um, the Let's Dive Deep podcast has officially awarded Jeffries the homie status. So instead of Sir Jeffries, it's the homie Jeffries every single time that he comes back in this novel or any subsequent Bridgerton novels or in the show, if he's ever in the show again, if he was ever in the show in the first place, uh, we're calling him the homie Jeffries. Everyone on board with that? Cool. If you're not, write me an email, but I'm probably sticking with the homie Jeffries. Anthony comes to see Simon and does the whole I didn't want it to get to this blah 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 blah. They have a fun back and forth. I'm not going to recap the whole thing. They have a pretty fun back and forth. It, it 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 achieved what it needed to achieve for me. Um but Simon has this hilarious line where he's like even though Anthony was threatening torture and death, he had to respect him for it. So even even Simon knows that Anthony is like Simon fully understands the world in which Anthony lives, the role in which Anthony is playing in that world, the responsibilities he has, and the fact that he's just a big brother with a younger sister and is genuinely interested in making sure his younger sister is, you know, fooling around with the right folks. And all of that combined, Simon has this respect for Anthony that I found was truly, truly funny. At the Bridgerton house, fucking scenes happening at the Bridgerton house. I was not expecting this. Everyone was stoked. And I love that. Like you get into the Bridgerton house and everyone's like, holy shit, it's happening. Hell yeah, brother. We're into this. And it was so exciting. It was so exciting that Eloise, our friend Eloise, is Eloise also a homie? I can't just be throwing out the homie. Jeffries is the first the homie, the homie Jeffries. It's not the homie Eloise yet. Maybe one day. Sorry, Eloise. But Eloise wants to get dressed up. She is, do you know Eloise? Do I know Eloise? I noted this. It's in bold in my notes. The Eloise, Hyacinth, and the other one. (laughs) Who is it? Oh, my God. There's Anthony Benedict, Colin, Daphne, Eloise, Francesca. That's the one. The three girls are excited to get dressed up. And I found that was strange for our friend Eloise, who doesn't seem excited to get dressed up about everything. Could just be Eloise is slightly different in the book, and we don't know that yet, but I was surprised based on the the show version of Eloise. There's a very fun moment where Daphne is kind of reminiscing about all the, like, how crazy, like, (laughs) she saved a life, I like, she saved a life, she agreed to marry the Duke, the, the cute dude that she loves, and also she committed to not have any children all in one day. And when she said that, I audibly laughed out loud. That was really funny. This chapter does, I haven't yet really been able to dunk on Julia Quinn too much. I was expecting by chapter, or by page, on page 240. 240 pages in, I was expecting to have something fun to say about Julia Quinn's writing, but it's pretty good, man. It's, it's, this book is melodramatic. It's a little bit sappy. The writing is okay. It's better than I was expecting. And she does a really good job in this chapter of just giving us a timeline, like making us feel making really putting us into the character's point of view and how they felt right by the end of this chapter simon is exhausted from this long day and he's like maybe i won't even see it. maybe i'll hole up for three days but at least if i can see, not see a bridgerton for one of them that would be great daphne is reckoning with all the shit she she has to do or had to do in this day, all the shit she accomplished in one day. She saved a life, married a cute dude, and committed to no children, all in one day. And that brings up this quote: like there are some, there are some decades where weeks happen, and some weeks where decades happen. I don't know where that came from, but I've heard it a lot, so I'm assuming everyone knows it. It came from somewhere. Um, but this this chapter is so effective at making us, giving us realistic characters. Of course, they would be absolutely exhausted by the end of the day and letting us sit for a moment and feel that with Simon and Daphne, I thought was very, very effective writing. Those are some of my favorite parts of this chapter. Daphne is so exhausted that she goes to bed with her clothes on and Mama Bear like barely helps her up the stairs and like takes off her shoes, but knows she can't get Daphne out of her clothes. Like it's just not gonna work. And then Daphne responds by snoring. And again, very effective writing, very cute moment for Mama Bridgerton. I really enjoyed everything in this Bridgerton house. And I think that's it for this chapter. It was a really short chapter. I'm surprised I've been able to talk for more than 20 minutes about it. To be honest, I'll leave you with one line from the chapter before we get into the uh, Lady Whistledown pamphlet for the next one. Better to live with the man she loved than to have children with one she didn't. And I think that's a very... Nice one sentence summation of what Daphne was thinking. Um, But let me flip through my book here. Can you hear the the pages? There's nothing quite like a page turning that sound. It's like a swish in a basketball net. But let's read the Lady Whistledown uh, pamphlet for chapter number 13. It's marriage for the Duke. Oh, my goodness. Sorry, I can't read. I would be a terrible audiobook narrator. It's marriage for the Duke of Hastings and Miss Bridgerton. This author must take this opportunity to remind you, dear reader, that the forthcoming nuptials were predicted in this very column. Yeah, okay, she's, you know, hey, I'm reliable. I'm a reliable person. Give me your money. Fucking Penelope. It has not escaped... The note of this author that when this newspaper reports a new attachment between an eligible gentleman and an unmarried lady, the odds in the betting books at gentlemen's clubs change within hours. That's such a fun line because they obviously can't text. like It would take hours for that to get around to the betting clubs. Okay, so I, I need to keep reading this. And always in favor of marriage. Although this author is not allowed in whites, she has reason to believe that the official odds concerning the marriage of the Duke and Miss Bridgerton were two to one for Lady. Were two to one for Lady Whistledown's. So- Wait. Oh, sorry. Oh my goodness. Okay, this is you're just living with me in my bad reading. I, I'm not familiar with betting terminology. I don't bet a lot, so I actually did my betting today on all my Oscar predictions, but that's a separate thing. She has reason to believe that the official odds concerning the marriage of the Duke and Miss Bridgerton were two to one, four. So very likely to happen. Lady Whistledown Society papers, 21 May 1813. And that'll do it for this episode of the podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you enjoyed it. I love talking about this freaking book. If you did, uh, make sure to go to the show notes, check out the Twitter, the Facebook group and all the other places, the Patreon. If you haven't yet, I would love to take a couple of your dollars to give you early access then I can buy food and shelter and whiskey and stuff. So that would be nice. Um, But yeah, I appreciate you all so much. You're amazing. Thank you for allowing me to do this, by the way. Thank you for coming along this journey with me. I truly do have a wonderful time. Thank you all so much for listening, and I will see you in the next episode, which will cover chapter number 13.